Welcome to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The Islamic State group posted a video calling on Palestinians to attack Israeli soldiers and civilians. At least five killed in B'nai Brak after the assailant went on a shooting spree firing from a motorcycle. Here's your host, Rob Walker. Few people know the consequences of violent anti-Semitism and anti-Israel hatred more than Judea Pearl. His son Daniel was a journalist working for the Wall Street Journal newspaper in Pakistan when he was kidnapped and murdered by Al-Qaeda in February 2002. In his last moments, Daniel was forced by his captors to say on camera, My father is Jewish. My mother is Jewish. I am Jewish. Showing the world the brutal face of anti-Semitism. In this week's podcast, we sit down with Daniel's father, Dr. Judea Pearl. Dr. Pearl is a respected computer science professor and an outspoken advocate. And we sit down with him and listen to his personal reflections on Daniel, as well as for his wider perspectives about the state of anti-Israel propaganda and anti-Semitism in the world today. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Professor Pearl, welcome to the podcast. Well, glad to be here, Jan. It is uh, it is our pleasure. I mean, you of course have uh, a very extensive history uh, speaking on issues such as anti-Semitism, uh, Israel. I want to actually discuss a recent interview that you had recently done, uh, and you were talking about the difference between anti-Semitism and Zionophobia. Can you tell us what what you mean by that? Of course, we all know the difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, right? I hope your audience know that too. I only took the word anti-Zionism and I turned it into a fighting word, namely accusatory word. There is something racist and basically immoral about being anti-Zionist. And when you, however, when you just say anti-Zionist, the negative side of it doesn't show, and it sounds like a, a legitimate political opinion. I'm anti-income tax. I'm anti-abortion. So it sounds as legitimate as that, but it isn't. It's eliminationist, and it borders on genocidal, and therefore. I advocate the use of the word xenophobia, which means it is a denial of the right of a people to a homeland. And it is obsessive denial. It has no philosophical or political or moral basis. And we should say that in that using that word. The anti-Israel cronies have succeeded in attaching the word Israel with everything which is ugly in every generation. And we have not done that. And we should express the idea that there is an immoral component to being against Israel and against the right of Israel to exist. Therefore, I use the word xenophobia, which rhymes with Islamophobia, and by this rhyming, 
I express the fact that we demand to be treated with the same disgust as um, the word Islamophobia is being treated in the streets and on campuses. Now, you've obviously, this term Zionophobia, um, do you think that this term Zionist has become so toxic? Uh, and, and what is needed for it to be reclaimed as what it truly is, uh, as opposed to how anti-Israel activists try to describe Zionism? It became toxic for two reasons. Number one, we have a very toxic enemy who from day one, and I can say from 1920s, had no other goal but the, the prevention of Israel from becoming a state, preventing of the Jewish people from having homeland. And um, after the establishment of Israel, working 24-7 to, to legit, delegitimize the existence of Israel. Why they have recently succeeded? Partly because we Jews have been too nice and have not made their aim to be, to, do, to expose their aim. Partly because we live now in a very tough times uh, uh, tough in the sense that the liberal part of our community has sided with some extreme elements in the Palestinian camp and have um, joined them in attaching a negative association with the word Zionism. And the reason is because um, Zionism is a national movement, the same is the Palestinian national movement, but Zionism has the uh, unfortunate of being successful national movement. And this is something that the extreme side of the liberal camp cannot stand. It is uh, contrary to every chapter in the textbook. The textbook says the nationalism is bad, period. And here comes a national movement and is successful and is democratic and is pro-human rights and is pro-LGBT and demonstrate the ability to uh, embody all the ideas of progressive movement despite the hardship and despite the verbal and physical attack. So this is something that the Marxist textbooks have not uh, expected. And that is the reason why um, I would say majority of left academician resist and do not know how to swallow. It is a movement that has never had any equal in the history of mankind. The movement of people to a homeland which they have been dispersed from 2,000 years ago and have maintained the affinity and the desire to return, that kind of thing 
has never happened in the history of mankind. So they do not know how to swallow it. Uh, every national movement is being treated with suspect, especially the successful ones. You know better than almost anybody, of course, the dangers of what happens when extremist ideology becomes violent. And I wanted to ask you, actually, I wanted to quote something you said in 2005. Um, you were actually uh, in Ottawa, and you were speaking about the, the need. Uh, well, I'll quote you here. You said, in caveman times, you kill the enemy, you kill the threat. But in today's times, you kill one terrorist, you haven't done a thing. You have to kill the ideology that brings about hatred, and that's what I'm after. So how do you kill the ideology that calls for the destruction of Israel and says that Israel and therefore the Jewish people have no right to live in their ancestral homeland? What possible common ground can there be with such a belief system? You asked me several questions. I would like to get one at a time. Um, the, we used to have one negative uh, adjective to describe this anti-Zionist movement, especially the Palestinian one. We used to call them terrorists. And the association of Palestinian with terrorists used to uh, resonate with people. This is over now because terrorism has lost its punch. Today, a terrorist for one person is a freedom fighter for another one. So we have lost the, the verbal adjective to describe the negative and the dangerous part of anti-Zionism. And we haven't been able to replace it with anything else. So we keep on fighting in the defense instead of in the offense. And there is one aspect which is extremely negative in the Palestinian anti-Zionist movement, and this is being eliminationist. But the word eliminationist has not appeared in the language yet. Therefore, I use Zionophobia to remind people that anti-Israelism amounts to eliminate a nation homeland for a nation of refugees. The word Zionophobia should remind people about the genocidal component in the uh, anti-Israel movement. People tend to forget it. You, you're very active on Twitter, and you've been posting a lot recently about the Abraham Accords. There was just recently a, a wedding in, uh, in the United Arab Emirates. Um, okay. So somebody might look and say, wow, things really are changing. But how representative of, of, of the reality on the ground do you think that is? In other words, is the world really changing for the better when it comes to Arab acceptance of Israel throughout the Middle East? Or are what we're seeing in the United Arab Emirates very much an exception? It's very hard for me to mix reality with wishful thinking. I hope, of course, that it will be a movement that spreads to other Arab nations. And I think we are making progress. And the most important part is that the Abraham Accord is a genuine accord. I've just you uh, saw yesterday the uh, dance in the Chabad wedding, which had the fifteen hundred uh, 
Right, right. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I'm talking about the music. The music. Forget about the number of guests. Once you listen to the music and you see the dance, you see that they are genuine. And there is really a genuine willingness on the part of the people of UAE <laughs> Emirates to associate with Jewishness, to become familiar with the culture, and to be a friend with a new nation, a successful nation. So I think it is very genuine on their part, and definitely genuine on the Israeli part, as we can see. And uh, I hope it will spread. But it, it depends, of course, on how America treats it and how the Western world in general treats it. Um, criticism such as they forgot the Palestinian <clears throat> will not help. The Palestinian have to understand that the, it, the time is to move forward and they cannot continue to veto the natural process of people wanting to uh, be uh, part of the same region, equal part in the same region. And this is what is missing in the uh, uh, Palestinian identity and philosophy, the idea of equally legitimate and equally indigenous. This is my slogan for peace. I say equally in legitimate and equally indigenous. And we have to start with the latter sentence. By equally indigenous, I mean that every Palestinian father tells the Palestinian son Israel is here to stay. Israel is here not by favor and not by force, but by natural right. They are equally indigenous as we are. They have a historical attachment. We have a continuation of residence. One balances the other, but we can compromise and we have to live together on this land. This is something which is a totally missing from the Palestinian agenda and the Palestinian culture. There is no the single Palestinian educator who is uh, speaking like that to the students. Not a single Palestinian television anchor that is speaking like that to the audience. Not a single cleric in the mosque that is speaking to the audience in that language. And of course, not a single politician. And that is what's missing. 99.99 of Palestinians truly believe that Israel's days are numbered. And it is, it is temporary phenomena in the Middle East. The nice thing about it is that Israelis know about it. And Israel are listening carefully with the fine antennas into the textbooks and into the television program, into the mosque ceremonies. And they know exactly what the spirit of their neighbors is. And they, there is another player here. The one player is the Western press. They are totally ignorant of these two other players. They do not understand that for Palestinian Normalization with Israel means an identity theft, a defeat. And they do not understand that Israelis know about it. 
and that Israelis are willing to accommodate on equal basis their neighbor if they can trust that their neighbors is genuinely accept their existence. So this is the problem of three blind mice, the Palestinian, the Israelis, and Western press. It's a very simple conflict. I keep on saying it's the simplest conflict in the history of conflict. It's two legitimate national movement having claim to the same land. One says, we, 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 and the other says, me, me, and only me. There's a term that was uh, that was coined by David Frum called the soft bigotry of low expectations. Uh, what that really means is that the Western world and Western media deals with Palestinian rejectionism very, very softly. It deals with it with kid gloves. Why do you think this continues to be the case, you know, ignoring Palestinian textbooks which call for the destruction of Israel, pay yes. for slay on the Palestinian Authority? Why does the sort of Western news media, obviously generalizing a little bit, just give this kind of a pass? Yeah, I tell you, it's a very hard to accept. It's simply illogical. It's simply illogical to accept the idea that people people would sacrifice their well-being, their future, their hopes for independence, everything for resistance, simply to eliminate the um, emergence of their neighbors' independence. But this is a case here. It's an illogical attitude, and Western uh, diplomats and Western peacemakers and Western press as our logical people. And here they are facing a totally illogical phenomena. It's hard to understand and it's hard to absorb and accommodate and um, live with. So they all come out of a university course in conflict resolution and uh, such courses assume that both sides are rational as long as you're dealing with a common interest, then a conflict can be resolved, as it was resolved in Ireland, as it was resolved in other places. But the textbooks do not teach you how to deal with irrational, 120 years old national movement. And this is the case for the Palestinian national movement. It has been irrational for 120 years. I'm not the first one who noticed that. You know who was the first one who noticed that? It was the, the British Foreign Minister, Ernst Bevin, in 1947, when he apologized to the United Nations on why Britain must leave the mandate and leave Palestine to the decision of the United Nations. He stated it very clearly. He said, this conflict is unresolvable. Why? Because the, the Jews will give up everything for having a state. And the Palestinians will give up everything, including their independence, for one thing, to prevent the Jews from having a state. Therefore, it is irresolvable, and we are quitting. That <laughs> was the 
keen observation of Ernst Bevin in 1947, and it remained like that. Not much has changed, perhaps, uh, in that view then. Well, well Professor Pearl, thank you so much for, for joining us, giving us a lot to think about. Thank you very much again, Professor Pearl. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad I had the chance to speak to your audience. And that's today's edition of the Honest Report podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.